power, passion, and presence. These three words hint at three of the great mysteries at work in today's celebration. First, power. So we just read the passion today. We see very much that power is at work. Who has it? How do you get it? What does it mean to have power? What does it do? The classic confrontation between Pilate and Jesus. Pilate questions, do you not know that I have the power to release you and I have the power to crucify you? A classic kind of worldly claim for power. And Pilate's right. He's got it. He has risen to the, the top of the, the pyramid, at least his little pyramid. He's powerful. He, he speaks truth. He does have the power to release Jesus or the power to crucify him. But in the end, Pilate's just the top of one little pyramid. In fact, in the grand scheme of the Roman Empire, Jerusalem is a nothing. It's a little backwater. Pilate's ultimately in charge of nothing. And yet we see how much power corrupts and how much we want power. Pilate enjoys it. We also know that the, the chief priests and the, the scribes, the Jewish leaders that Jesus is constantly coming in contact with, they too have the power. They're at the, the top of their pyramid. They are the, the head of the Jewish people. And they think that unlike Pilate, who at best has political power, they think that they are really justified in their power because they have religious power. They dare say we have the power of God on our side. The apostles even exercised some degree that they too want to have power. One of the apostles, it says, takes out a sword and strikes the servant of the high priest here, cutting it off. Some desire to grasp at power in the face of unjust aggression. Surely that could be right. Isn't it right to strike back against injustice, even with force if, if necessary? All three of these examples are examples of, of people who have power, want it, want to wield it. One thing that's behind all this, though, is a bit of fear. The Jewish leaders are afraid of what will happen if they lose control. Caiaphas says, isn't it, isn't it better that one man die on behalf of the people rather than everyone suffer? He thinks he has the, the power to prevent everyone from suffering if he just kills Jesus. What an incredible arrogance has corrupted the high priest through that power. Or that somehow that the entire nation would be corrupted by just one man, Jesus. And so we have to use our power in the name of God to eliminate this Jesus pretender. Or what good could a, a sword do on behalf of one little apostle in the face of the entire Roman army? And yet there is this desire. I want power. 
even if it seems futile, I, I'm going to use the power I have to get what I want or to avoid a seeming lack of control. John's gospel passion today is all about power. But maybe the best example is not one that we would think. Jesus responds very little in this gospel. One of the things that you, you notice when you are the priest who takes the part of Christos, of the Christ in this, unlike the passion of St. Matthew that we read on Sunday or St. Luke that we would have read on Tuesday or Wednesday and St. Mark on Tuesday, in John's version of the passion, Jesus says very little. If you wanted to say who are the power players in, in the gospel story, Jesus would be the last one you think of. It's a bunch of other people talking about him. And yet Jesus has the right answer. He says to Pilate, you would have no power over me if it had not been given to you from above. For this reason, the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus is saying that there is power. And Pilate's right, he does have it. But he only has it because God allows it. Who is the most powerful one in this whole story? It's not even Jesus and his humanity. It's ultimately the one who gives it from above. The source of all power. God in heaven. All earthly power is ultimately a gift to us in our freedom to use it to order the world to be more like the kingdom of heaven. So power, as we come to this day of Good Friday where it, it seems like Jesus is powerless and everybody else has the power, we might ask ourselves, what role does power play in our life? Are we compromising things that we, we know to be wrong simply to get power or to hold on to the power that we've got. Ultimately, power is a great motivator. And if we allow the desire for more and more power, we might not name it that. We might call it control or uh, to, to have influence. In the end, there's one who ultimately has control, power. And that's God. Only God has the power to order the world, to bring it into existence. And today we see God even has the power to become one of us and seemingly make himself powerless so that we might see just what corrupt power can do. On this day, we used our corrupt power to kill God. That's ultimate power in an earthly sense. But the greater power comes through Jesus, who undergoes his passion. So following power, there's passion. Jesus suffers. That's the, the root of the word passio, to suffer. We tend to use power to avoid suffering at any cost. But Jesus is truly most powerful today in that he willingly suffers. He lays down his life. He says, I have power 
to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. John, ultimately, in giving Jesus very few words in his passion, nonetheless has set it up to say that everything that happens to Jesus, it is not that he is overpowered. It is not, ultimately, that Jesus suffered because Pilate is more powerful than he is, or that the chief priests are more powerful than Jesus. Quite the opposite. John has set it up very clearly to show that Jesus is the one in control. That's why he doesn't speak much. Jesus is only where he's at today because he willed it. He desired to suffer on behalf of all of us. He looked at the price that it would cost for our salvation. And he lived out his own words. No greater love has anyone than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. He tells us plainly, I, no one takes my life from me. Rather, I lay it down. Passio. Jesus endures the passion and indeed, he is the primary actor in his passion. It is his will that allows all of this to come about. You would have no power over me unless you were given from above. Jesus uses his power to serve others, to lay down his life, to suffer for us. Finally, presence. Jesus, through his saving act, through his powerful laying down his life and his passion, is the ultimate victor. Because rather than being eliminated, rather than being conquered through his passion, Jesus becomes present in an even more real and tangible way. A way that on this Good Friday, I think all of us experience in a, a very different way. Because you see, the earthly presence of Jesus was in fact taken away on that first Good Friday. Jesus really did die. There have been several heresies throughout history to say, well, Jesus probably didn't really die. Because you see, he, he only he only seemed to be human, or he, he swooned on the cross and fainted, and they buried him in the tomb, and, and then he wasn't really dead, and he, he came back. All of that defies the constant teaching of the church, the, the only thing that makes today truly good, and that is that Jesus truly died, absolutely, and his presence as he lived on this earth really was taken away. The end of Good Friday and on Holy Saturday, there was only the body of Jesus. Those beautiful hands that healed so many were pierced with nails and bandaged in a burial cloth in a tomb. The eyes that gazed upon so many with his forgiving, merciful look were closed in death. His side much as from the side of Adam in that original garden, the bride Eve came forth. So on this Good Friday, we see that Jesus, dead on the cross, has his side open as the new Adam 
and his bride, the church, comes forth. A new presence. But for his apostles on this day, all they could experience was their own passion, their own suffering, and what seemed like an absence. On this Good Friday in 2020, in the year of pandemic, really for the, the first time, perhaps, in our lives, we get to experience a bit of what those apostles would have experienced on the first Good Friday. They have taken the body of my Lord. They were not able to have access to the body of Jesus from the night of Good Friday until the morning of Easter Sunday. We see those who come and lovingly care for the body of Jesus. Mary Magdalene, his mother Mary, John, the other Mary, there with his body at the foot of the cross. On the first Good Friday, there were only a handful of people that could be with the body of Jesus, to be in his presence. In much the same way today, there's only a handful of people in this church and the churches throughout the world who can be in this place. Most of us, like those first apostles, are not in the presence of Jesus as we're used to. And perhaps that is good, at least for this year, that we can feel what we perhaps often take for granted, that the presence of Jesus, the Eucharist, it will just always be there. We'll just be able to go to the church when we want. We can receive Jesus anytime we want. So what does it matter if I skip mass this Sunday or, you know, I don't want to go to that long Good Friday liturgy in the middle of the afternoon on Friday. We can go another time. Probably many of the apostles on Monday or Tuesday of Holy Week thought, we'll always have the Lord with us. What big deal is it to be in his presence? We've been in his presence for three years. Surely that presence will just always be there. And yet here we are in the midst of an unthinkable time in which the presence of Jesus, the ability to receive him in the Eucharist, the presence that is so tangible that we call it the real presence, most of the entire church this day is denied that presence. For a long time, this is actually the norm on Good Friday. Before 1955, all of the, the church was denied the Eucharist on Good Friday, and only the priest received. We just take for granted now that surely we can receive the presence of Jesus any time. And although we can't receive him physically in communion as we normally would today, I've been greatly edified by what I saw last night even, Pictures of Jesus in the tabernacle live-streamed all over the internet. We are told that this time of pandemic is putting great stress on people and that the internet is filled with unholy images at this point and access to depravity. What a great countersign that present on the internet right now at this three o'clock hour, at least in the central time zone, are images of the solemn celebration of the Lord's Passion. Last night, the internet was full of images of the tabernacle containing the body of Christ. We don't have the ability to receive the presence of Jesus as we have in years past, but perhaps there's an even greater 
presence of the Lord here today in this fasting from the Eucharist. As was true on the first Good Friday, the passion of Jesus brought about his death, but it also brought about a greater presence. Jesus indeed was in fact more present to his apostles and ultimately to his church born on this day than he was before his death. And so we know that if that's how the powerful God works, that he can bring about through passion a greater presence, then that's what gives us hope today, even in the midst of a pandemic. That's a a P that we need not focus on today because we know that the same truths remain. God is all-powerful. The first Good Friday did not come about because God did not have the power to prevent it. And this pandemic did not come about because God somehow failed in his power. Rather, God's power has permitted this. He's permitted passion, suffering, and no doubt we experience it. But the great secret of the passion of Jesus and indeed the entire story of the church is that this powerful passion that we go through can actually lead to a greater presence. Even now, there are people coming by the church that want to be in the presence of Jesus. That gives me great hope. One day, the pandemic will end. What will our faith be then? God, in his power, has allowed this moment, this moment of passion and suffering. And today, we know that that ultimately will lead to an even greater presence. Perhaps for the first time in a long time, you are gathered with your families right now watching this. You are living this Good Friday in a way you never have before. For the the priests, we know what it's like for Jesus to have been alone on Good Friday. We go, as the high priest did, alone into the temple. But through all this, you and I, priests and people, will encounter Jesus, perhaps in a more powerful way because of what we suffer. I pray on this Good Friday that through the celebration of this liturgy and the suffering that we endure, we might know the greater presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, the most powerful, the most suffering, and today the most present to us in a way that we could have never imagined. May we never take for granted this presence.